Hi, welcome back to Smoking Issues. Today we are taking a second look at discussing liturgy, pastoral discipline, and the good of the local church. Do evangelical pastors have the discipline to engage in thoughtful liturgy, apart from a denominational guidance? Do we need structure, or does freedom of methodology allow pastors to better reach their context? Join us as we take a second pass at these issues while smoking another punch champion cigar. Welcome to the podcast where nerdy guys smoke cigars and talk about smoking issues in the church. Thanks for being here. If you have any questions or want to comment on what we discuss, you can contact us via Facebook Messenger, you can email us at smokingissues at gmail.com, or you can go to our website at smokingissues.com. And if you're just joining us for the first time, or as Ian said the other day, uh, my voice is very forgettable, I'm Josh. And I'm Ian. Ian, how you doing today, buddy? I'm, I'm pretty well. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Having a good day today. Mm-hmm. Excited to do our podcast. Excited. It's uh, it's like Valentine's Day come early. <laughs> to spend this much time with you. <laughs> That's great. That's good. Well, oh, I could make so many comments, but I'm not right now. <laughs> um, so uh, we have got a great podcast coming on today. Um, tell me a little bit about what sparked this, Ian. Well, uh, what sparked this was the fact that, uh, predictably, we didn't get through things we wanted to talk about last time. <laughs> oh, really? We went over? Yeah, we just like spent too long on one part of the topic. <laughs> How and, shocking. I know. Shocking, right? That's great. Um, and I... What, what, where did we get to? We, spoke, we actually talked about... Um, we, uh, we, we asked the question, will pastors do whatever it yeah, takes yeah, to make yeah. their we, church we spent a long happy? Time, we spent a long time last week talking about the autonomy of the local pastor, the methodological freedom of the scriptures. We never talked about pastoral discipline or the discipline of the pastor. Yes, yes. And that's kind of what we... I thought that was actually a really important thing. So I suggested to Ian we just extend the topic for a second week and talk about like how... you know We talked last week a little bit about this idea of um, uh, who is the pastor? Um, like who tells, we talked about this idea of the pastor as, uh, does he have the discipline to be able to say no to the things that he wants to do, but that won't reach his context. And, uh, can the pastor have, uh, can the pastor have discipline without, having denominational structure around him. And we didn't quite get to that second question of can the pastor have discipline without denominational structure. So I thought, eh, maybe we could have a, an extra little podcast to discuss that because I thought that that was a good, good point. And I really, really enjoy it when I'm right. So <laughs> another opportunity to be right is great. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, th- this idea of uh, so there's there's kind of two questions that we're we're bringing to the table. Do, do evangelical pastors have the discipline to engage in thoughtful liturgy? And then the second question is: Do we need denominational structure 
Um, or does this freedom of methodology allow pastors to better reach their context? So let's talk about what it means uh, for the discipline of the local pastor. And I'm I'm going to make an argument first here, Ian, because mm-hmm. I feel like that um, that that you're you've got a rebuttal that's that's pretty strong. Mm-hmm. So so here's here's what we have observed, and this is one of the detractions of evangelicalism today, uh, because especially in the reform circles and in independent churches, non-denominational churches, there is no standard for how to ordain people. There is no standard of what a pastor is or does, and so every church kind of reinvents the wheel as they get planted. I'm seeing this with a lot of my church planting friends. As they're planting churches, as, as Rachel and I are planting a church, um, we, we kind of, we, we have some advice, we have some guidance from church planting networks, but at the end of the day, it's kind of up to me to say, mm-hmm. this is what a pastor does, this is how a pastor's qualified, and uh, this is how we raise up leaders, how we train people. Um, there is no, no standardization. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that that's a benefit. Uh, now, there is some detractions to that, but I think the benefit is, is that I can design a leadership pathway, I can design structure, I can design systems around the context that I'm in. But part of what makes me uh, a pastor, and part of what makes pastors successful, is their ability to be disciplined, to lay aside their own personal perspectives, their own personal influences uh, for the good of their community and to understand like a good missionary what's going to reach their local context. And so I actually feel like as we talked last week, the Bible is intentionally silent on methodology. In order that, we can have this localized expression of church that can, like a good missionary does, go into a cultural context say what's going to help communicate the gospel best to these people, and then design your structures, design your systems, design your church around those things. And so I say that that's what makes a pastor a pastor. And I think what makes a good pastor a good pastor is that they are able to, like a missionary, go into a context and assess it and design systems and structures around it. Ian, what are some of your Um, thoughts on that? Well, I'm I'm not entirely sure you you address address the issue of a... um, Pastoral discipline being learned rather than structured. Um, you, you seem to get, you seem to seem to uh, sidetrack into something else. Um, but from 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 my perspective, like what we see um, amongst you know independent um, pastors, essentially creating their own form of Christian discipline. Um, is is I think a fracturing of um, of the kind of the idea of the of the capitalicity of the church um, that in a town the Christian community can be recognisable um, through through distinct and similar um, ways of living uh, and ways of organising ways of worshipping. Um, it's a it's a it's a pity. To, to lose that, hmm. um, you 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 begin to sort of move away from what Jesus was praying for in John seventeen, uh, in as much as we've uh, we're now se- seemingly uh, splintering and and we're not rec- and we're not recognizable to each other in the sight of the world, so that's a, that, that's a, that's a disadvantage of of this kind of uh, self chosen discipline. Um, so that's, and, and that I that I would I would argue is is missionally significant. 
Um, it's, it's very insignificant for the mission of the church. As, as Jesus said, um, you know, they'll, know, they'll know me and they'll know the Father by the way they love one another. Hmm. Um, hmm. So uh, that, that, that autonomy can create uh, enmity and strife and rivalry rather than um, Catholic unity. So do you think that denominational autonomy from denominational structure means that we're not fulfilling John 17, that we would be one as Jesus and the Father is one? Now, I mean, I think we can all agree that um, it is Jesus' good pleasure to, to fulfill his own prayer. It is the Father's pleasure to fulfill that prayer. Um, <clears throat> but if, if, if we understand that this is the direction in which we're headed, but under the, under the power of the Holy Spirit, um, to do things which jeopardize that unity would seem to be against the spirit of Christ's prayer. Hmm. You know, yeah. that's what I would say. I'm not saying we, I'm not saying we get to fulfill Christ's prayer. Like that's a, it's a dumb thing to say. Right. Well, uh, I, I do. Th- now I would argue that, um, as Jesus is thinking about being one mm-hmm. as we are one, um, I, I kind of go back to this idea of coming to Peter on this rock, I will build my church. Mm-hmm. And as he, Peter had just affirmed, I guess it's Mark 9, Mark 8, uh, Jesus's Lord. Mm-hmm. And then he says, upon this rock, I actually think that he's referring to his lordship. This idea of the affirmation of Christ's lordship on mm-hmm. this truth is what I'll build my church on. And so when I think about unity, or I think about the unity of the church, I don't necessarily think of um, denominational unity. And I actually don't even think of operational unity. Like we all look the same, act the same, think the same. I think unity goes a bit deeper in saying, no, we should love one another and be unified under the common belief that Jesus is Lord. Yeah, and I'm not going to disagree with you there. I would just say that's the lowest common denominator or perhaps lowest common denomination. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Thanks. That was good. You Uh, just came up with that, didn't you? I did. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with you, but I, but I still think in the spirit of Christ's prayer for us, for our unity, to express the unity between the Father and the Son, there is, there is a great deal of intimacy. Hmm. Um, where so, so, so living a life that's recognizable, similar, compatible, um, and especially living, living a communal life, which, which, which is compatible and universal, hmm. um, I think begins also to get into that, into that prayer. Um, Anyway, so uh, that's, that's kind of my, my response to your, to your missionary concern. Uh, I think it's actually less missional to be more autonomous um, mm. uh, because, uh, because you're, you're, you're harming your public witness mm. uh, of, of Christianity in the world. Yeah, and I would say that um, I don't think that we're harming our public witness by being autonomous. I think that autonomous churches that come together, that collaborate. We've seen that in Annapolis. We've seen that at some churches in Tennessee where uh, churches come together. They love one another. They care for one another. They support one another, help start churches together, collaborate, yet not being unified by one denominational structure. I feel like that's a greater expression of unity. That says that in spite of us not being connected through some sort of denominational, financial, organizational structure, we love the gospel enough to come together and serve or work together. So, um, but going back to this idea of pastoral discipline, mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of uh, when you look at how pastors are typically taught, and we've critiqued this in 
in previous podcasts, this idea of most pastors are taught when they go to a seminary or they go to a Bible college and they get trained and then they get sent out as pastors. And Mm -hmm. so there's not really a lot of heart character development. There's not really any sort of residency, internship, those kinds of things that, that help them work or think through. And so what I'm encouraged by in this kind of uh, reformed movement, some of the um, denominational structures that that my wife and I flow in, is that there is a recovery of that idea mm-hmm. of being in a residency, not automatically assuming that you're qualified to be a pastor because you've been ordained by some 50-person church in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. But the idea that like you have a... Um, you have a period of time when you come into a church or a context where, where they want to see, hey, are you legit or, legit or not? And, and I've been encouraged by that, but I would say that pastoral discipline is learned over time, and that discipline to lay down your personal preferences for the good of the community and the personal discipline that that takes for a pastor, I think that's one of the key markers of success. But I just don't think that that can be mandated by a denomination. Well, uh, here I come back to actually one of my most profound philosophical disagreements with you. Um, I think I think when when you allow a pastor to intuit, um, feel out, or to to be to be even less kind, make up their own path of spiritual growth or intellectual growth or these things. When you allow a pastor to do this, um, you have to scratch your head and, and ask the question: Well, what is what exactly is Christianity then? What is the faith? Mm-hmm. Um, because you're not uh, unified around if you're not if you're not unified around a common set of practices, then you're not going to be unified around a common belief, and you're not going to be unified around a common shape of life. And so, then, how does Christianity exist? Um, or or at least, sorry. I might be too much of a too too big an issue, but how can we how can we express the truth of Christianity in a way that's consistent, uh, without without um, having some kind of commonality, uh, which is determined um, for more than just one church? Well, this is where I go back to the idea of the centrality of the scriptures and the centrality of the Word, um, that that is what the common unifying factor mm-hmm. across. All denominations, all autonomous churches comes back to is an understanding, a love for, and a commitment to um, reading the scriptures in a certain way. And that's actually where a lot of denominations they they stray is uh, away from each other is how they uh, their hermeneutic, how they interpret the scriptures. And so I would say that that's how we we determine what a Christian is, what a church is, is going back to what, how we submit to and understand the scriptures and how that informs how we follow Jesus. Well, um, you know, the Unitarians really love the Bible too. <laughs> uh, so do the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, so, do, uh, so do some Quakers. Um, so certainly do uh, the Mormons. Uh, a unity around the Bible, I think, demonstrably, is insufficient to to be identify, identifying marker of a Christian church. Well, I would argue that, um, the, again, the deviation of belief, some of what you just said goes to heresy, right? 
uh, goes back to how we interpret the scriptures. Uh-huh. So yes, they the Jehovah's Witnesses might have a uh, appreciation for the scriptures, but how they read them, how they understand them, and how they interpret them is what different differentiates what a Christian church is versus a Jehovah's Witness church is. So, um, but I would say that now. But I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said that you know when we leave people to just kind of come up with what they think that it causes major deviations, right? That's what you uh-huh. mentioned a minute ago. Well, didn't the Anglicans do that? They're just older. Like, didn't they do that just a couple hundred years ago? Uh, so you've got your your let your liturgy came from people thinking autonomously and independently and developing systems and structures around that, um, but they just systematized it um, five hundred no, years ago. No, that actually isn't that's that's not that's not an accurate interpretation of the Church of England's history. Uh, for sure, they are born out of the Reformation, um, and so they are reading Luther and Calvin in light of a very unique form of Catholicism. English Catholicism has always been pretty unique. Um, what with whole being on an island thing and having a very animos- uh, having a lot of animosity toward the European continent. Um, English- <laughs> and they're just depressed because it rains all the time. Right, right, right. I mean, you know, I mean, the, uh, the Italians didn't, 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 have, didn't have time for theological reform because they were too busy drinking wine and having fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, you know, a bunch of, bunch of English clergy sit in a pub for long enough and eventually a reformation is going to come out of it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Well, it, there was also this uh, little guy called Henry VIII that sparked he wasn't the so, church. He wasn't, he wasn't so little, actually. He was quite... He's <laughs> a pretty large guy, but uh, pretty freaking uh, large. kind of an exaggeration there. But like the, the, the idea that actually flowed out of independent thought, independent ideas... Um, uh, that well, then got well, formed in the liturgy that well, you just I, I, passed I, I, on. As I was trying to say, I actually flatly denied that comment. No, no, it didn't. Um, so, so this this is a church who who continued in a in a pretty uniquely medieval Latin tradition, uh, and then read uh, some convincing arguments, or compelling arguments um, from the continent, because um, every now and then we do, in fact, look at what the continent's doing. <laughs> Hashtag Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> But every now and then, at some point, we do look at what the continent's doing and go, ah, that's pretty good. We should do that. <laughs> and, um, you know, it took about a century, a century and a half for um, some of the priorities of the Reformation to be interpreted into the life of the Church of England. Um, finally, coming down to a, to a moment of decision under Elizabeth I, um, who kind of, kind of set in, in final legal form um, how the Church of England would be uh, from that from that point forward, um, you know, largely and and the, and the and the liturgy and practices are rooted in, um, you know, a rediscovery. I mean, certainly that sort of Reformation era rediscovery of the patristics, Augustine, um, and other uh, founders of the church, rediscovery of the scripture as authoritative, and uh, and and also some of these, um, some of the. Uh, epistemological concerns unique to the time, such as uh, the importance of reason, uh, which is, uh, again, a, a really new idea uh, during the time of the Reformation, and it's, and it's kind of enshrined there in the, in the practices of the church. So, uh, the, 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 I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a way of saying, like, you know, when you have a big enough um, structure and the people entrusted for making decisions about the way it lives and practices its faith, they're making good decisions. What that can accomplish is it creates a unified public witness 
and a consistent model of discipleship. Uh, now, for sure, um, uh, in light of different literature and different epistemological concerns, the Church of England may have turned out differently. It may have done. But it, it, it just so happened, you know, this is, an, this is the era of, of, pre, of early modernity, we're all about rationalism, um, and uh, we're also uh, all about uh, ridding, uh, you know, ridding people of superstitious practices, again, rationalism, uh, and thus the, thus the worship becomes a little less flavoursome, shall we say, than it had been in the, in the, under the Catholics. Um, but, uh, you know, whilst these decisions that were made by the structure of the Church of England were, in a sense, provisional and limited, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't know everything, they weren't reading everything. They made decisions based on what they knew and what they were reading, um, which bound the church for a good couple hundred years. The fact that they did so um, meant that the Christian faith in England was a recognisable entity and that, and that a disciple could, could have a, s- a strong and consistent relationship with the church as an institution. And I think that's really, uh, really very valuable. Yeah, but one of the things that you mentioned just a few minutes ago is that the, the structure creates a, str- a, a unity amongst it, which the world looks at, uh-huh. right? But even with Anglicanism in the past 50 years, there's been a huge split that made national news of which you were a part. I mean, you, I mean you're uh, a byproduct of... I, I have not split the Anglican de- denomination, just, <laughs> just in case that accusation comes, comes out. I'm like, what? <laughs> it truly comes out. This is what I think about you. you Travel back in time. But you know what I mean? Like this idea of, of now the vein of Anglicanism that you run in is a result of that split to where now your bishop is in South... Africa, right? No, the... my bishop is in Alexandria, Virginia. No, no, no. But you're the head, the head thing, the head honcho for the Anglicans. You're part of the diocese of an. You're part of the African diocese that comes over and ordains the no, bishop. We've Angli- talked about the Anglican this. Church of North America, whose whose archbishop is here in America, a man called Foley Beach. But didn't you join in? Like you talked about this, like. It's there's some connection, yeah, yeah, I mean, with there's, there's, Africa. There's, what is there's the connection? Histor- there's a historic connection with Nigeria, but that's no longer. But but there was a because of the ordination of gay priests or the affirmation of homosexual lifestyle, the Anglican Church split. I mean, in America, Anglicanism has been splitting for a hundred years for various reasons. But I mean, that was the recent that was the recent cause. Yeah, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So even with the even with this idea of denominational unity, there's still splits, there's still schisms that happen that make national news. And people are saying, look, this, I mean, obviously the news will hyperbolize anything, but they're saying, look, the church is splitting apart, you know? So I don't think that it proves out over time uh, that it is any more unified than autonomous churches working together. Because I think that you see these splits, you see schisms, you see differences of opinion, and then it's actually a lot more weighty to make a split or a schism within denominations because you're literally splitting off churches and people away from denominational structure that they've been tied to, which I think causes more hurt and pain than just an individual church changing their mind on something. Mm. Mm-hmm. But this comes down to... Um, I mean, I mean firstly, on the one hand, um, the structure of a denomination allows um, 
for pernicious doctrine to be resisted for a time uh, and, and even suppressed. Sure, I'd agree with that. Um, that uh, when, you're, when you're ordaining people into a community, perhaps a global or regional community, or with, with, with certain doctrinal standards, <clears throat> you, can, you can basically tell them what they can and can't preach. And if they and if they want to be preaching something that is contrary to your to the to the understanding of that organization, then they then they can find somewhere else to pursue their ministry, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so it's so it's not the case of somebody very impressive coming along and wooing a congregation who might be incredibly theologically theologically untrained, you know. Sure. Yeah. As uh, so they come along, woo them, receive their call, and thereafter milk the cash cow of that congregation. And and uh, you know for five to seven years until they've committed enough pastoral abuse, then have to move on. And that does happen. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree with it, you that that mm-hmm. does happen. Yeah. Although I will say that with strong, godly biblical churches, um, there is typically a self-correction that happens. Mm-hmm. And now you mentioned five to seven years until they commit pastoral abuse, or um, it goes to a certain extent. But I I will say that there's a lot of times where when there is um, errant theology that a strong elder team and well-trained people will identify errors and course correct. Yeah, yeah, but th- but that that you know that kind of discipline is voluntary for the autonomous congregation, and uh, and so you, you know if your task is being a shepherd to sheep, um, then then you can't depend on the sheep to defend themselves from the shepherd. Or from the wolves, and that's a good call. Um, yeah, so when, I so, agree with so that. when you have like a, literally a structure who's, and people whose literal job it is to protect sheep hmm. uh, from pernicious doctrine and practice, um, you know, say for example, um, you know, if you're in a, a, a you know, Presbyterian system, you've got the presbytery, various other denominations, you have like a moderator of some kind. Um, you know, obviously we've got our, uh, our bishops and, and archdeacons, uh, in, in, you know, amongst Anglicans and Catholics, who whose job it is to like protect congregations and and remove pastors when they are cruel and heretical um which can be a, which can be a, 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 you know takes a great burden off the congregation um that they haven't got to fend for themselves well and that's where i would say um what you where you would see bishops as yeah. that check i would see a local church elder team as that check yeah. and that's yeah. where it's important to have a plurality of elders that love Jesus, that are equal in authority, um, equally able to speak in, um, that are also connected with the local church, too, because a lot of times it's difficult to see and understand pastoral abuses from afar away. Mm-hmm. And so a local church, a local elder a local elder team that comes together with authority and uh, that is not under the pastor, but on a team with the the lead pastor or priest or whatever. Um, that 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 is the self correction for the for the local church. I actually think that that's how the Bible has structured it. Now I might be wrong. I don't have a corner on that. That's mm-hmm. where I think. That's where I land theologically. Is that local church elder team is the is the guard against those things. Mm. Um, when I've seen that happen, I've seen. I've seen local church elders come up and say, no, this isn't right. And I've seen uh, people get removed from pastoral leadership because the elder team votes that they shouldn't be there for mm-hmm. a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we're, we're coming to the end here. We have to do a smoke break. Um, how is the Punch Champion Cigar round two? We've got a, uh, we smoked this last week and uh, we're, we're smoking it again this week. Well, uh, I'm, I'm noticing, um, I feel like after smoking one of them, my taste is forever changed. <laughs> and you kind of become more familiar with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so you become more, yeah, you become more familiar to this, like actually quite quite unique experience of the cigar. Uh, it becomes a bit more normal. So, 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 so some of the novelty's gone. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, so you, you, I, I'm not I'm not as wowed as I was last week about the the texture and the way the smoke comes through and all these all these yeah. things. Not as wowed. Yeah, still delicious though. But sure. now I'm like less like excited about it. Um, yeah, well, it, it, and, and just to remind our, our listeners, this Punch Champion burns slow. It's got a bit of a stronger flavor. It's a big step up from what we've been doing. Um, but these ones, typically it's good because when you smoke them over multiple weeks or you smoke the same cigar multiple times, you kind of get a deeper sense of how it smokes. So for me, um, it's not necessarily – it is normal. It becomes a little bit more normal, but it also helps mm-hmm. you – get different aspects of the flavor or uh, maybe even compare from week to week in terms of draw or those other things. But, um, but yeah, so, so it's good. This, this punch champion is definitely something I'd come back to uh, a second time. So um, I think uh, uh, I, as we conclude this podcast, Ian, I think this is uh, these conversations are really helpful because mm-hmm. it helps us uh, get down to some of the, core differences in our approach, even understanding who protects the local church, mm. who tells the pastor what to do, um, how yeah. do pastors maintain discipline. Um, it, whether it's denominational structure or it's autonomous churches with local elder teams, um, by God's grace, he uses them all, and he's advancing his church in, in spite of these differences of opinion. Um, yeah, and I wanted to respond to you know your your your, your comment earlier concerning um, the, the the collapse of, of Anglicanism in the West, or at least in America, uh, which is is a somewhat overstated. I think the majority of Anglicans are still going to be a part of the Episcopal Church, um, uh, but 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 more importantly, I wanted to I wanted to address like like you know this the when you've invested in the bishop, the authority to, to shepherd, to, to shepherd and protect congregations. And, um, that bishop is perceived to have, to have failed in his duty. Whether he has, hadn't failed in his duty is, you know, another issue, but he's, but he's certainly perceived to have, to have failed in his duty of protecting congregations from pernicious doctrine. And that congregation has then sought to find alternative oversight well, I mean, frankly, um, you know, there's there's an, there's an, another more ancient approach to this, which is when you don't like when you like when you don't like the bishop or pope, you just wait for them to die. <laughs> like seriously, just sit it out, sit it out. They'll be dead soon, uh, or at least retired. Just sit it out, uh, which is which is certainly one approach that the church is classically had is to just sort of ignore what the pernicious clergyman does and then just wait for them to die um and then put someone else better in <laughs> That's their place awful by the way i mean like it's it's, it's like when you, when we're the church we literally have eternity to get it right <laughs> we got we have time we have time 
Dude, that needs to be the title of this podcast. When we're the church, we literally have eternity to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, great. So, so you can you can do that if you think about it richly and theologically. You can just say, you know what, this this is not ideal, but eventually they're going to move on, and it's going to be okay, right? Um, secondly, um, there are questions to be asked about um, Orthodox Anglicanism in the West and their reluctance to climb the ladder. What do you mean, climb the ladder? Uh, good evangelicals or like people who are really passionate about good godly pastoral ministry at the local level rarely seek advancement up into denominational structures. Okay. Um, it's one of those, it's one of those trends that I think evangelicals, especially they enjoy the press. They're sort of like, Oh, I'm just a humble pastor. That's a humble shepherd of a parish. Uh, and they don't understand like like how important their, their their voice and role could be at a higher level. Um, they they tend to shun and shun and eschew that kind of role. Um, and so the question to be asked is like, well, you know, you have all these clergy you don't like in in high office. What were you doing a century ago hmm. that left you out in the cold? question to ask hmm. now i can't you know it's too late to ask a question now and certain things have already happened um but you know if you're if you're if you're if you're speaking from a yeah slightly more realistic place um you know you in you're you're just challenging on like why anglicanism split apart um i mean I, my my response is primarily like well you know think 100 years ago what were the, what were the orthodox doing why they why were they left out why are they being left out in the cold now because that, that doesn't come from nowhere. Yeah, I agree. That comes from a failure to invest in an earlier time. Well, and we see the same thing happen even at Baptist churches. There's uh, um, older Baptist churches that I've been a part of or I've seen that, uh, you know, the, the, the struggles that they have today are because of the failures of 50, 100 years ago, mm -hmm. failures to disciple their people. So actually, I feel like that that makes it even more important to step up now and, you know, uh, I, not that you follow this vein, but uh, what you said a minute ago, just wait for them to die. Like we don't, I would say that while we have eternity to get it right, we have a responsibility to the next generation to, to, to work the best that we can now to disciple our people and set the next generation up for success. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you all for listening. If you like what we're doing, please send us a comment, text, email, or smoke signal. Uh, you can find us online, on Facebook, you know, just yell at Siri about us. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Just yell at the sky and we'll, we'll hear it. <laughs> uh, and as always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Nosmo King. Thank you, Nosmo. Thank you, Nosmo. Farewell. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Something inside